Who makes your car? Think you know who owns the company that built your car? And you have no doubts where it's produced, right? Well, it might be time to think again because the world wide web of car brand ownership and vehicle manufacturing has become even more tangled in recent years. Welcome. I'm Cars Guide Deputy Editor James Cleary, and joining me on the podcast panel to uncover who owns what and what's built where are key contributor Andrew Chesterton. Chesto? The worldwide dark web here checking in. <laughs> and, and managing editor, head of video, Matt Campbell. G'day. How are you going, everyone? Uh, we'll also cover off this weekend news and take a look at a plug-in MG, a WRX on family duty, and a smoother silk Genesis in cars in the garage. So stay with us. Right, we're looking at a Richard Berry news story, uh, which pulls back the curtain on who owns the new car brands present in this market and where individuals are actually made. So I'm proposing a quick pop quiz to start us off. All right, it's time, to, it's time to play Who Makes Your Car? Um, Matt and Chesto, buzz in with your name and feel free to play along at home. Uh, okay, where are the following 10 cars made? Toyota Kluger. Matt Campbell. Matt. Yes. After you, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> it's made in the USA. Uh, thank you, Chesto. I don't know where, though. Uh, Princeton, Indiana. Oh, there uh, you go. Okay. Ford Ranger. Uh, Chesto. Uh, Chesto. That's uh, Thai special, is it not? Rayong, Thailand. Uh, Volvo XC40. Matt. Uh, it's Matt. China. Yep. Lakiao, China. Okay. Uh, Merck GLS. Chesto. That's made in the US, I believe, in yeah. Kentucky, maybe? Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Alabama. Tuscaloosa. Jeep Compass. Matt. Chesto. Matt. Canada. Ranjangjorn, India. What? Yeah. <laughs> Tesla Model 3. Chesto. Matt. Chesto. Depends, depends where you live. Ours are made in China. Shanghai, China. That's right. VW Amarok. Chesto. South, sorry. Matt, Matt was first. Currently, uh, the current vehicle is made in Argentina and some are from somewhere in Spain as well, I believe. You did well. You did well. Trick question because the current one, outgoing model, uh, General Pacheco in Argentina, and the new one will be built in Silverton, South Africa. Yeah, right. Uh, two, uh, three more to go. Ford Puma. Chesto. Chesto. That is made, I believe, in the, the I don't know. <laughs> Come on, mate. You had one for a long term. You I should know this. I, I can't remember. For some reason, I want to say Europe, but I think I might be going mad. Grover, Romania. Oh, there you go. Romania. BMW X5. Matt. Matt. That's America. Spartanburg, South Spartanburg. Carolina. That's and the city of BMW SUVs. Ah. Um, in fact, yeah, you're right. X3, X4, X5, X6, X7, all hanging in there. Yeah. Um, now, uh, last one, BMW iX3. Chesto, that's got to be Germany, the iX3. Shenyang, uh -uh. China. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so, How about that? So there you go. Now, uh, actually, planes, trains, and dogs and cars says Panadol made, made in India. Um, so very... <laughs> Very interesting. Panadol? But it's, I suppose, that little quiz, I don't know who won, I didn't even count up, but um, it, it just demonstrates the the breadth of uh, diversity in terms of yeah. where cars are manufactured. You tend to just go straight to, all right, it's a German brand, it's made in Germany, and that's so not the case. And speaking of BMW, they have a, uh, I know, Chester, you have a particular view on this, they say their cars are made in BMW. So they'll apply the same kind of rigor in terms of how their vehicles are put together 
no matter where it is. And it's all about cost efficiency in terms of logistics and materials and labour with consistently high quality. And I think, Chester, you had something to go on the end of that. Only that I think, A, that sounds like marketing bollocks to me because they're not going to say, oh, yeah, we're doing it. Look, the factories are rubbish, but my God, it's so much cheaper. They're not going <laughs> to say that. But B, it actually, in, in defence of that, I was reading some reports earlier today that said that actually BMW cars that aren't built in Germany yep. tend to rank higher in JD Power survey, which is the initial quality surveys they give to owners, than BMWs right. that are made in Germany. Now, this was a few years ago. It might have changed. But it would suggest that, yeah, they are applying BMW style, perhaps even more BMW yep. internationally than they are at home. Well, look, here's another stat. So far in terms of Australian new car registrations, so that's to the end of September, um, Japan is the number one in terms of a, a, a country of manufacture that's represented here. Thailand is number two. So 251,000 cars from Japan, 185,000 cars from Thailand. Yeah, and that, a lot of that is driven by ute sales, obviously, um, Ford Ranger, uh, Toyota Hilux. Um, and it, it is strange that uh, we've got all these vehicles coming from Thailand, including uh, Isuzu, um, you know, Mitsubishi. Uh, there's a lot of vehicles built in Thailand, but there's no Thai car company. Company. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, it's kind of crazy that they've got all this expertise and uh, state-of-the-art manufacturing, but no Well, that's one to no watch. Maybe it's, maybe it's only a matter of time. Until, you know, someone puts two and two together and comes up with their own domestic brand. Yeah. yeah. But that number is also going to grow too. I think it's BYD from memory is currently investigating space in that same area of Thailand. A whole number of other brands are as well. So they could very well become our biggest supplier of new cars. We might even have yep. it to Japan. Yep. Now, um, so Richard's story does a bit of a rundown as much about ownership of car brands as it is about location for manufacturing. And there are a few that we know all about, you know, uh, Mini, um, traditionally British to its bootstraps, but of course is owned by BMW mm. and built all over the place, you yeah. know, including China. You go to MG. Now, this one's a little more transparent in that, yes, MG of old was was very much the, the British brand, but it's owned and the cars are built in China. I think they have a head office, a headquarters in London, um, you yeah. know, Tally Ho and all that, but the cars are made in China, yeah. Thailand and India. I don't know that it's that transparent. I remember being at an MG launch recently and, and I asked the question, I said, you know, is there a stigma attached to, to made in China, you know, for this British brand that all your cars, our cars anyway, are coming out of China? They said, no, no, nobody cares where car brands are from. doesn't mean anything anymore. I said, oh, okay, fair enough. Then they gave us a little press kit in a bag. The bag was covered in British flags. I was like, oh, <laughs> no one cares. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get to the um, the no one cares bit in the in the news segment. We've got some some updates on that, but that's uh, that's interesting for sure. Um, okay, another one, Volvo. Uh, as Richard has put it, Swedish is aberrant flat pack furniture, uh, but of course it's owned by Geely, which is another. Uh, Chinese giant and that yeah. seems to have been a successful relationship over now a long period of time it has yeah. never been I would argue Volvo has never been a better brand than it is now under Geely's ownership yeah I think it's basically large influx of cash to develop the cars that they want to develop because you looked at the way sadly Saab just went went the way of the dodo when General Motors uh, bought it and, and didn't really know what to do with it I think Geely at least has allowed the people that run Volvo to make the cars that they want to make in a Volvo way rather than modify their behaviour at all. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Now, what's the next one we've got? Volvo. Ah, Land Rover. There's another one. Land Rover, what do you, who do you think of? Uh, Queenie, 
you know, um, um, goodbye to her, sadly. But, uh, bond. Yeah, very, various others, wartime uh, work. But it's owned by India's Tata, which is just a huge conglomerate uh, mm. that makes cars for the domestic market, but also owns Land Rover and, um, I want to say, Jaguar. Jaguar. So, so um, they're, they're made there. The Nitra plant in Slovakia makes the Discovery and Defender. Yeah. Changshu plant also produces Discovery and Evoke. And the Pune plant in India makes the Discovery Sport and Evoke. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Be interesting right. to see what happens there with uh, with Jaguar. They they're kind of nowhere at the moment, so they could use a bit of an influx of cash themselves. Mm. I thought. I think so. Jaguar seems to be a company that's caught yes in a state of flux. They've uh, professed their desire to become a hundred percent EV, um, and but that that takes a lot of engineering and development work, and um, it's not exactly happening overnight, is it? No, no, no. not at all. <laughs> uh, now Volkswagen. Here we go. <laughs> Volkswagen, of course, owns. A multitude of brands, um, Skoda, Audi, Porsche, Bentley, Bugatti, Lamborghini, of course, VW. There's also, I want to say, Seat um, is in there and Cupra, mm -hmm. which has just arrived in this market. They've got mm -hmm. other industrial brands. It's a huge conglomerate. They've got more than 100 factories in 27 countries, yeah. wow. including Germany, Brazil, China, India, the United States, Portugal, Spain, Mexico, South Africa, and Russia. You know, the, it's, it's world domination. It's the kind of residual effect of Ferdinand Pieck wanting to dominate the automotive world. It's quite incredible. And you think about the South American market in particular when it comes to Volkswagen, they're pretty dominant down there with really old new cars like the yes. Volkswagen Goal and all those little tiny little pickups that they build. Peugeot is the same. Um, they they build a lot of market-specific cars for the South American or Latin markets. Um, and, yeah, it's just it's crazy to think how big that group is uh but like you say james you know even in europe you think about where they've got bases in europe uh skoda obviously the czech dominant brand yeah uh, then you've got cupra for spain so uh and volkswagen's pretty much everywhere else right right exactly i mean um you talk about south america the historical thing there was yeah, putting boots on cars like putting a weird little trunk on the back of a yeah. polo or something and and also they were onto ethanol many decades ago, and I think they called it gasohol. Yeah. So Volkswagen was producing <laughs> engines ready to run on ethanol forever ago, and and that was their initiative in South America, Brazil specifically. I want to say. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Now, where are we up to? Uh, Volkswagen, Rolls Royce. Now, does it come any more British than than Rolls Royce? Um, no. And of course, BMW uh, owns. Uh, made a deal with Volkswagen in 1998 to split Rolls-Royce away from Bentley. Uh, and so which way does it go? BMW owns uh, Rolls-Royce and Volkswagen owns Bentley. Yeah, so, but, but they are still English, aren't they? Rollers are still made in the UK, I'm sure. Are they ever? They're made in Goodwood um, yeah. in a very modern factory in, in Goodwood in England. So, again, it's a case of, look, here's the funding. You do what you do um, and we'll, we'll let you get on with it. Yeah, yeah. right. Um, so, and it's great in a way for, for people who like to look back on automotive history, Bentley and Rolls-Royce going together seemed like such a forced fit, you know, they were just different badges and, and wheel covers on the same car. And mm -hmm. now they've both been able to go down their own path. I think it's fantastic for people that are into those ultra luxury cars. It's, yeah. that's brilliant. Yeah, look, and I'll say I've never, ever been into those ultra-luxury cars. And um, thank you, James, for clarifying that they were the same cars, just with different <laughs> badges, because I've always <laughs> looked were. at them and gone, 
Is that a Bentley or is that a Rolls Royce? Well, that's right. Annoyed JC because right. you had to buy one of each, which is. <laughs> well, look, I can tell you that when I road tested the uh, the Ghost a couple of years ago, I gave it ten out of ten for value. <laughs> no, you're paying through the nose, but you're getting that umpteenth attention to detail. Um, I just drove the Phantom Series Two recently. It is seriously special. I mean, they they lay claim yeah. to making the world's best car, and to be honest, it's kind of hard to argue in a lot of ways. Exactly, it, it'd be an interesting debate uh, in and of itself. Uh, now, Rolls Royce Jeep. Now, Chester, you've got a little bit of has- history with this bland, uh, brand in um, past lives, mm-hmm. but of course, the parent company is American, Italian, and French. Yeah. <laughs> so, because Stellantis combines all of those Italian uh, Fiat uh, and everything that goes with it, mm-hmm. as well as what was formerly PSA, so Peugeot and Citroen and DS and various others, as well as Jeep and Chrysler and goodness knows what else. Dodge and all the rest, yeah. So they've got, you know, Jeeps still made uh, mainly in the United States, but they're also made in 10 plants in six different countries, Mexico, Brazil, Italy, China, India, the list goes on. So that's an interesting one as well. Yeah. But you think when you go to the States, they're very much home country Jeep people. You don't see too many renegades and things like that getting around, you know. But Jeep guys, small SPs, Europe. The little renegade was made in Italy, I think. Yeah, that's right. It's no longer in this market. But, yeah, that was was made in, in Italy. Came down uh, the same line as the Fiat 500X. Um, X, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and yeah, uh, you said that you don't see many of those in America. You don't see many of those anywhere. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> yes, yeah. that's a good point. Yeah. I still think it's a cute little thing. I don't mind. So do I. Yeah. yeah. I think, Chester, you and I attended the launch of that car in the States. Um, yeah. Yeah, we probably yeah. did. Yeah. yeah, we did. Anyway, look, also, one little syndrome I wanted to call out, and it does go to does it matter where a car is made, the sneaky kind of midlife production switch. Um, Volvo seems to be good at this. The in 2019, the XC60 started out in Torslanda in Sweden and then changed to Chengdu in China. And the XC40 in 2018 started out in Ghent in Belgium and then switched to Lakiao in, in China. So you just wonder whether there was okay, now we can sharpen the pencil, the cars in market. We've got the first flush of buyers who have to have it. Yeah. Um, we can make it in a slightly more cost efficient way. Just long enough to answer the question at the launch. So where's this built? Oh, this one's made in That's Bur- right. All right, that's <laughs> straight away. <laughs> that's right. All right, that's good. So um there it is. Richard's story is up on the site if you want to get into all the detail, but I suppose it just goes to show that it is a pretty tangled web and yeah. somehow. It works, and the cars that we receive um, are made all over the world. So yeah, and in fact, in September, the three best-selling cars in Australia were made in Thailand, Thailand, and China. So it's I think this idea of it being a German car, a Japanese car, or anything else, yeah, long out the window. That's a good point. That's a good point. All right, now let's move on. We are going to move to this week in news. Great. So this week in news, we've just been talking about uh, China, Matt. We've had a story that has created something of a click frenzy. Can yes. you give us a top a top line on it, please? Okay. It's um, written by one of our contributors, Tony O'Kane. Um, Everyone needs to just chill out about Chinese cars is the title. Uh, fantastic title um, and really sums up the idea of this opinion piece from Tony. Um, the, the, the notion is um, whenever we publish anything or write anything about a Chinese car, um, there's seems to be a keyboard warrior 
tribe out there that is just ready to attack at any moment when they see Chinese car or review of a Chinese car. And if it happens to be, you know, a Chinese car that's not actually that bad, um, then, yeah, the, there's a lot of hate. And it's funny because it's almost like um, there's also the defender uh, team that, that will defend anything that's been Right. made in china right um fair enough you know uh maybe they're those um 10 cent army i think they're called but, <laughs> yeah, that's um, right. the <laughs> i think the um the, the gist of it is that um chinese cars are here they're not going anywhere mm. and uh australian customers uh, just need to be understanding of the fact that this is probably actually going to be something we see more of not less of Absolutely. um i know chester you've done another uh piece recently about the fact that there's a good chance your next chinese car will our next car will be chinese um and yeah there's uh there's no doubt about it that this has created something of a wave of interest yeah and if you if you if you're into that kind of masochism you can dive into the comments as well because it's almost as entertaining as tony's story yeah we uh we moderate them heavily just <laughs> yeah, no, but it's a fair warning that is a fair warning i would just advise chilling the hell out too just for the record every car that comes through the cars guide garage gets treated with exactly the same brush no matter where it's from or who owns it yeah also those of us with long enough memories will remember people kind of felt this way about japanese cars for a while they felt this way about korean cars for a while mm -hmm. yeah now they feel this way about Chinese cars. You know, the times they change. Get on board. They do. They do. Thank you, Matt. Now, uh, speaking of Japanese cars, uh, Chesto, Toyota, they've got a bit of history now with hybrid, quite a history. But yep. this is a this this story, it's your story, is about a different kind of hybrid. Yeah, and look, I wrote an opinion piece today about this very thing about the about the the doomsday for diesel dual cabs is nigh. Look, there's no doubt that diesel is going the way of the dodo, slowly but surely. And one of the few industries in Australia, one of the few market segments in Australia that re continues to really prop it up is dual cab utes. Now, we've seen the LEV ET60 is going to launch in Australia this September. That's electric. We've seen Ford go back to petrol in some of its models. We're talking that Mitsubishi Triton's talking about going plug-in hybrid. Uh, Nissan is talking about going e-power with its Navara. So the whole idea here is that like, you know, is there really a way to save diesel or do we have to go in an entirely new direction? Well, it appears that Toyota's answer is going to be to try and save diesel. There's reports, really credible reports, in fact, out of Japan that the next Fortuna is going to be equipped with a 48-volt mild hybrid diesel engine yep. attached to the same 2.8-litre diesel that we all know and love already. Yeah. Uh, and then further to that, there's, there's reports that they are actually just working on a straight diesel electric powertrain which will be used specifically for their commercial vehicles and some of their more off-road focused suvs so early days check out the story for all the details but it does certainly appear that toyota is at least trying to extend the life of d's a little bit longer super interesting that's great i mean for history buffs i mean general motors uh made lots and lots of money out of providing diesel electric uh powertrains for tr for trains yeah. um back in the immediately pre and post war so you know diesel electric technology has been around for some time so that that's cool good um thank you now speaking of alternate uh, power richard has written another story uh, battery breakthrough um and he's saying that this could mean electric cars could be charged in as little as three minutes um, people from Aden energy which are mainly propeller heads out of harvard university that have created a commercial entity solid state lithium battery not ions through electrolyte liquid or gel um, there are direct comments from the ceo and developers plus more tech detail and again lots of enthusiastic comments about um, along the lines of here we go again you know yeah. um 
solid state. Why isn't it working, et cetera? But it is a thought-provoking story, and there are a lot of, of good comments. So I'd recommend people uh, get along there and have a read. It's coming. All that stuff is coming, whether oh, yeah. it's flat or solid state or something else. I think we, we will look at the EVs of 2022 like we look at Model Ts in 10 years. You know. Yeah. Well, this one's called solid state lithium metal uh, battery. So forget the lithium ion, lithium metal. So that's the difference. It's solid and it can take a lot of charging very quickly. Right. Yeah. All right. Now we are going to move to cars in the garage. Right. The the actual cars that we've been driving, not just talking about, we've been yeah. steering them. And Chesto, I'd like to start with you, please. And it's absolutely pertinent to some of the conversation that we've just had, the vehicle that you've been in. Yes, I'm driving the MG, Chinese, not British, plug-in hybrid, the HS, <laughs> they call it. It's quite, I think this is genius, actually. I think there's a bit of a stigma attached to the term plug-in hybrid or FEV, that it's like, you know, it's not quite an EV or whatever. So they have, they call theirs the HS plus EV. All right. Um, suggesting, you know, you get even more than a traditional hybrid. It's it's not particularly cheap. It's 51690 but that's drive-away pricing. All right. It pairs a 1.5-litre turbo petrol with a 90-kilowatt electric motor. The battery on board is 16.6 kilowatt hours, no solid state, obviously, <laughs> and it will give you a 63-kilometre driving range. Yep. Pure EV. Now, remember, the, the average Australian, I think, from memory, drives somewhere in the vicinity of 37 kilometres a day. Uh -huh. from work so if you were to plug yep. in every night conceivably you could have an ev lifestyle unless you wanted to go further afield yeah um and yeah look plug into a seven kilowatt wall box they reckon it'll take five hours to recharge so easily overnight if you've got a wall box right so i've had it for a little while now and i've been sort of testing it out the the, the first period i spent with it i spent with it how i suspect a lot of people who buy a plug-in hybrid live with it i.e the vehicle comes charged runs out of battery that's the last time they see a plug <laughs> it just drives yeah, like yeah. a normal suv right yeah. so i did that for a little while and i was getting like you know high nines early tens per liter 100 fuel right yeah and i said okay now i'm going to drive it i'm going to charge it religiously every night and i'm going to drive it as a hybrid so i'm not going to go to ev mode i'm going to let the car figure out the best thing to do and then it, the fuel use dropped to sort of high sixes which is pretty good for for a car that's sure size. sure then I said, okay, now here's a real test. I'm going to continue plugging in every night and I'm going to drive it in pure EV mode and I'm going to see how that works, you know, only to discover the EV mode's broken. So I haven't, I haven't had to do that yet. Every time, I, every time I push the button, I get an error message saying this service isn't available, no matter how charged the battery is, no matter what the conditions I'm in. So I've got oh. to put it all into MG and figure out what the hell's going on. Okay. It might be, full disclosure, it might be user error. Yeah. Uh, although I even went to the to the uh, extent of I, I I won't read a owner's manual for love nor money. But I was <laughs> I was getting YouTube instructions on how to activate it, and and didn't work. So uh, okay. I'll figure out what's going on there. But at the moment, it's a uh, the EV mode is a no go. But to be to be that, continued. To be continued. But apart from that, it's look. It's a pretty easy to live with SUV. To be perfectly honest, it doesn't exactly. Uh, blow your socks off in terms of performance or coolness or excitement. Neither does it really let you down in many places. There's plenty okay. of room quite comfortable. Okay. Uh, one downside is that the infotainment system, and in fact, the system to control anything in the car, is mind-bogglingly slow. Like hit a button, uh -oh. wait for a couple of seconds, pops up. Okay, now I can. So that is frustrating. That's my major downside at the moment. Borderline, borderline safety issue. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Mostly because I'll kill someone if it continues. Oh, right. Gotcha. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Thank you for that, Chesto. Now, um, 
on family duty, this car, Matt, um, and it's it'll get the family there fast. Yeah, yeah, it's the Subaru WRX Sports Wagon. I've got the top spec, the TS. Uh, I like that it's the TS and it stands for top spec. It doesn't, but uh, it's uh, about 57,000. Could, could stand for something else, but anyway, I won't say that. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's fifty-seven ish thousand dollars. So, and that's before on-road costs. So, it's not a cheap family wagon. Uh, you know, you consider it against the likes of a uh, Skoda Octavia RS or maybe an entry-level Volkswagen Arteon, something like that. Yep. Um, so, uh, yeah, not exactly cheap. It's not the menacing WRX of days gone by. Um, I wrote in my initial instalment, my first instalment for this piece uh, was basically that. Um, if you're thinking that this is uh, a WRX, um, you know, that lives up to the traditional values of WRX as being that they uh, grab you by the scruff of the neck and throw you around and, um, you know, you get out of it feeling more exhausted than when you got in. Mm. Um, that's not the case here. It is. Mm -hmm. It's a very comfortable, composed, relaxing, nice thing to drive. Um the TS comes with a bunch of different drive modes, including um, a Sport Plus mode and an individual mode. So you can basically tailor the suspension, steering, drivetrain, adaptive cruise control, safety systems, all that to your preferences. Yeah. And there are different profiles that you can set for driver and a different driver as well. It uses a camera to detect your face and go, oh, you're Matt. This is how we set you up. Um, I think I've just worked out why Chesto's car isn't going towards EV mode. It just can't handle his face. It's got that face <laughs> recognition software and won't let him drive an EV. Sorry, cool. Sorry. Um, yeah, so uh, I will say that it is um, it is a very nice car to drive. Uh, I, I haven't really, as a family car, yep. um, with my baby in the back and my partner in the front seat most of the time, you know, I haven't really wrung its neck, um, but I don't really feel like I need to. I did a little bit of that at the launch event for this car, and I got a good feel for what it's like. Um, yep. the, if you want the really, really sporty WRX experience, you have to buy the sedan because it's set up differently and it feels more right. sporty. Right. Um, and also the sedan you can get with a manual transmission. And that's what I would want if I was going to buy a WRX. So gotcha. Gotcha. Um, having said that, I'm enjoying it. I've had it for uh, about six weeks now yeah. uh, and put about 3,000 kilometres on it in that period. So, um, yeah, enjoying it. And how, how many instalments on the site so far? One so far. One so far. Um, second one's coming in second about a fortnight. Very soon. Okay, so people can stay in touch with how you're going with it. That's yep. perfect. Okay, thank you for that. Um, I'll finish this off. I've been in what is variously called the Genesis G80 Electrified or the Genesis Electrified G80. Either way, the name tells it all. Um, it's a luxury four-door sedan, 145K, dual motors, so it's all-wheel drive, 272 kilowatts, 700 newton metres. Um, on the plus side, Richard Berry asked me what I thought of it. He'd been driving it, and I quoted Edna Mode from The Incredibles. I said it's smooth as the finest Egyptian cotton. Um, it's just, and it's it's also just loaded. It looks sleek. It is fast, 4.9 seconds, so a sub five, naught to 100 figure. 520 kilometer range, um, impeccable build quality and finishing. It's got a solar roof, which I think is a really nice touch. And I think that price is aggressive. Um, it's a lot of money, but $145,000 for this kind of car is, is pretty competitive. I have one question before you move on, JC. Yeah. What do you mean by solar roof? 
Uh, it's a panel in there that actually makes a contribution to the battery um, storage, not not a huge one, yeah. but I think it'll keep some of the ancillaries running and, and stop right, it running on the main battery. So, And it also looks cool. It looks... First glance, you go, is that carbon fibre? But no, it's just um, solar panels. Um, yeah, and so there's no sunroof or anything, obviously. It's a fixed panel across it's the... A fixed panel across the roof. Yeah, yeah. awesome. Yeah. Okay, sorry, carry on. That's okay. Um, on the minus side, it's five metres long and 2.3 tonnes, and it kind of feels it. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's the nature of this kind of car. The one we had, white leather, and has what they're calling forged wood. I, for the life of me, couldn't find out what forged wood is. But <laughs> I, I don't like the look of it. <laughs> and that's just a subjective thing. But I, I think I don't know what it is, but I hate it. I don't like it. Um, so in summary, I think this car leverages the advantages of electric in a large luxury sedan perfectly. It's yeah. quiet. It's smooth. It's powerful. It's serene. There's even active noise road cancellation. So you're just in this cocoon in the car and you'd be paying another 100K to get into an S-Class Merc, for example. You know, you, you're well under the money for those traditional players. Um, in the luxury market, so I think it's it's keenly priced, and that's Genesis' thing. You know, we'll we'll yeah. give you the quality for a for a better price. So I enjoy driving, as Richard did, I must say, he he loved it. So yeah. there you go. Um, and with that, we have reached the finish line. So I want to say thanks to all our listeners and viewers, and thank you, Matt. Thank you, and thank you, Chester. Thank you, everyone. And well done to our production guru, Mr. Brett Sullivan. Um, he's always been a big fan of forced induction. A fact borne out by the T-shirt he's wearing, which says turbo lag, giving the naturally aspirated cars an extra section, a second of false hope. <laughs> um, jump into the conversation. Cars Guide's on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and LinkedIn. Or traditionalists can email us at comments at carsguide.com.au. Listeners, please take a moment to rate and review the show. Five stars would be great. An update for listeners. We believe we're back on track with Apple Podcasts. Fingers crossed. Let's see how we go. Thank you. Mr. Pritchard for all of that wrangling. Viewers, if you're watching on YouTube, make sure to subscribe to the Cars Guide channel so you can stay on top of all our latest content. But before we go, mate of mine was about to pass through Broken Hill on his way from Adelaide to Sydney. Sees a sign in front of a shed on the outskirts of town, talking dog for sale. He's intrigued and he's made good time, so he stops. Old mate appears and tell him, tells him the dog's around the back. My mate ducks around and sees a nice-looking Labrador sitting there. You talk, he asks. Yep, the Labrador replies. After he recovers from the shock of hearing a dog talk, my, uh, dog talk, my mate says, so what's your story? The lab looks up and says, well, I discovered I could talk when I was pretty young. I wanted to help the government, so I got in touch with Asia. Uh, in no time, they had me jetting around the globe, sitting in rooms with spies and world leaders because no one thought a dog could be eavesdropping. Um, I was one of their most valuable agents. But after a while, the travel got to me. I wasn't getting any younger, so I landed a job at the airport doing undercover security, wandering near suspicious characters and listening in, uncovered some incredible dealings and was awarded a, a bunch of medals. And I got hooked up, had a mess of puppies, and now I'm just retired. My mate's amazed. He goes back and asks the owner what he wants for the dog. Ten bucks, he says. Ten bucks? That dog is incredible. Why on earth are you selling him so cheaply? Because he's a bullshitter. He's never been out of the yard. <laughs> I'm, slightly, I'm slightly concerned the jokes are just a little longer than the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it was worth it, though. Good on you, JC. Very good. Good on you, JC.